everybody. I'm here starting my third 1570 project. And today I'm really excited to have Caitlin with me from a podcast I listen to. It's called the Rhino Podcast, um, which I don't know if I would really call you guys rhinos, actually, per se. But um, it's a podcast that's available on Patreon. Um, but you guys seem pretty conservative to me, and I'm pretty conservative. So... I don't know. How would you describe yourself? Well, that's the joke, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a conservative. Um, it, it's kind of the joke. So like, uh, kind of like at, towards the end of the Trump presidency, uh, Jeff and I were getting called rhino like all the time. And we're, you know, basic conservatives. We were never really into the whole never Trump like thing. Mm -hmm. um, we called balls and strikes like he and I both and then um we were just getting called rhino and we're just like no like we're not rhinos like we vote party line like we're basic conservatives so right. we decided to um start this podcast to kind of discuss Massachusetts politics and all of that so yeah yeah it's funny because in Massachusetts the Republican Party is so weird and you know we have um, some very conservative people in the party, like uh, Jim Lyons, who's the head of the party right now, is very conservative. But, you know, there's people out there who call him a rhino, too. So it's really like you kind of can't win. You're always right. a rhino to somebody, I guess, at the end of the day. Um, but Caitlin agreed to come on with me today because I wanted to talk about this thing that I found online. It's called the Democracy Constitution, and I will link to it in the show notes. But um, it's this progressive group, a uh, progressive magazine actually that's like a journal of ideas called the democracy journal and they put out kind of their ideal fantasy land constitution of what you know if they could just magic wand make their own constitution from scratch and forget the whole you know 18th century one that we have what they would do so I kind of thought this was an interesting thought experiment and it's not like going to come to fruition but it was I just thought it was interesting from the perspective of like look if we could get exactly what we want this is what we would really want you know instead of this like in incremental like what could we get through the senate type of stuff um and I just thought it was interesting and I found it refreshing even just to read it because as I was reading it, I was reading things and going like, oh, wow, they just said it. They just said that that's what they want. That's incredible. Like and um you know, because in politics, nobody ever says what they really want. They're like, oh, well, we could do this reasonable measure. I think we can all agree that we could get we could come to some kind of compromise on this. And nobody ever says like what we're really aiming for. The next step that we're going to push for is this next thing down right. the line. So I think and I think it's important, you know, when we're in politics, we're very focused on the art of the possible kind of thing. Um, so, right. but I think it's really interesting to sometimes think like, well, if I could have my perfect utopian society, what would that actually look like? Like, what am I actually aiming for here? What am I trying to move people towards as the end point? Um, so I read this thing and I'll just read the, the preamble that they put in here. Um, actually, I'll read the, the real preamble first, just for comparison purposes. So our current preamble to the U.S. Constitution is we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure dramatic ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. So, and the Democracy Constitution's version was... We, the people of the United States, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America in order to form a more perfect union founded on liberty, dignity, democracy, and equality, to seek truth and promote justice past and present, to provide for the security and general welfare of the nation and all who call it home, to find unity in our diversity and make common cause as one nation indivisible, to promote peace and goodwill among nations and hope for all who yearn to breathe free, to foster respect for the earth and all of its inhabitants, and to secure these blessings to ourselves and our posterity. So, a few things jumped out to me about that, but what were the big differences that caught your eye right off the bat? The 
Well, reading all of it, um, dimensions of democracy just all over the place. Like that is what they start off with and they include it in here. So if our U.S. Constitution is not super explicit on um, democracy, they are very explicit in what their definition of democracy is. Right. Um, and so it goes from liberty to dignity and then democracy and then equality. So uh, that's where I'm kind of like, hmm, like liberty, then dignity, and then democracy, which means you can vote on whatever dignity means, or maybe, I, I don't know, and then equality. So, like, it, it's it's one of those things where I'm just like, oh, maybe we're going farther than our U.S. Constitution. So. Right. Right. Maybe it does go a little further. It's funny that you mentioned that the democracy thing, because actually in one piece of it, they say that people can only thrive under democracy. They say right in Article one, all humans are social and political beings who can flourish only under conditions of advanced democracy. So which advanced democracy? I mean, like, wow. So did nobody flourish for all of human history because democracies like weren't really a thing until fairly recently in human history for tens of thousands of years nobody lived under democracy you know so did people not flourish under monarchies or under any of these other right. types and of it, government it, it, and that's a correct well i mean like even if you look at about, like ancient athens and mm -hmm. ancient greece that turned into from direct democracies um into kind of like almost like republics and all of that and then you get into rome which kind of sort of was a democracy but it was very much a republican form of government so in later dictatorships but um but yeah i mean democracy is hit hard here and it, yes we have flourished without democracy um democracy doesn't automatically say that we're going to have equality or we're all automatically going to have all these rights like you even see it maybe like a union and definitely like North Korea mm -hmm. where their election, their democratic elections are just insane and corrupt. And that's right. what it is. So, right. They're a joke. And it's so funny to me that they chose that to, to press on because it is such a sort of amorphous uh, thing. I mean, there are all kinds of countries that claim to be democracies, like you point out, that have all kinds of problems with equality. It, it's not a guarantee, as you mentioned, that that you're going to have any of these things. Another thing that really jumped out at me is the focus on the whole globe instead of just the United States. You know, our original constitution says that we're going to promote the general welfare and provide for security here. But this included... Um, you know, to promote peace and goodwill among nations and hope for all who yearn to breathe free, which is like, it's almost like writing in nation building, like we have the right to intervene and make sure all people on planet Earth get to live under democracies, which I'm not even convinced that a lot of people on Earth want to live under democracies necessarily. Right. I mean, because, you know, in our country here, we're based on an idea, right? Like, we're not based on a culture. So, like, it, it seems a little too much to me to automatically assume that each culture wants democracy when we know that that's not true. Like, Iran has some semblance of democracy, but they don't want American form or like, you know, like Saudi Arabia. They're not going to want American form democracy. So, mm -hmm. it just seems like we're assuming a lot here. And we are also bringing on a lot of ideas that we don't originally have. I mean, yeah, we're in the UN and all of that stuff, but that's that would potentially be in a constitution that would govern us and put us into a social contract. Right. And, you know, there, people have a lot of different cultural values and what one democracy is going to say is their value and the rights that they're going to guarantee is going to be different from the rights guaranteed in another culture. I mean, obviously, there are quite a lot of people in the United States who uh, democratically would uh, have a lot more of a right to bear arms than than this democracy constitution outlines too because that was one thing that was kind of a glaring omission to me was they just left out it was any like second yeah. amendment thing in there um, but you know I think a lot of their fellow citizens might vote that in <laughs> you know if given right the like on a referendum mm -hmm. yeah, yeah like on a referendum that's interesting yeah I did notice that I noticed what they took out and I also noticed what they added in. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Second Amendment, what we have now, it's amazing. So it allows us to arm ourselves. Um, also through Supreme Court decisions later on, it allows us to arm ourselves against the government. It's essentially a right that also protects the First Amendment. Right. Um, when we look at this, I mean, the Bill of Rights in this democracy constitution, 
is straightforward from the beginning. And the Bill of Rights is in the beginning. It wasn't mm-hmm. afterward. Um, and it just goes into right into like democracy and all of that rather than right. talking about, I think, real rights that we kind of have now. It, it, it gets to that after making it very clear that your rights are based on majority rule. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, which is not a very stable way to ensure rights, you know, because a lot of people's rights are in just as much danger from their fellow citizens <laughs> as they are from, you know, right. a king. It's funny, Tom's been really into um, French Revolution documentaries lately. That's like what he's been watching. Cool. And that's like the biggest cautionary tale for, you know, too much democracy that is out there because it's it really like went too far. And it's funny, I read the um the McCullough John Adams book. Uh the and mm-hmm. and there's a lot in there. He and Thomas Jefferson, one of the things they disagreed about was whether or not the French Revolution was going too far. And it's funny because Thomas Jefferson was sure they everything was just going to like even out. They just needed a little time. But at this point, they were like mass drowning people and beheading people. I mean, they, it was no joke like ISIS, really. Like It was crazy. And right. they were no, like, the, not sure the had it gone too far crazy. or not. <laughs> So, yeah, democracy can... Right. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. So, yeah. like, in France, like, when you look at that and you look mm-hmm. at French history and how they kind of evolved to what they are now, like, you look at, like, their absolute monarchy and how that kind of went downhill very fast as they were, you know, implementing democratic reforms and kind mm-hmm. of came to, like, the tennis course states and all of that jazz. And then you get into the French Revolution. It became very bloody very fast. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, you know, like Thomas Jefferson and all of them and John Adams, when they talk about the French Revolution, it's interesting when you, like, contrast it with maybe Edmund Burke, who was like, no, like, the American Revolution was the conservative revolution versus the French Revolution, which just destroyed everything. Right. Um, Burn it all and down. And it, right. And it, it, it kind of goes into, like, what our Constitution is now and how amazing it is and considering the fact that we still have the same one whereas france has gone through their republic like five times now so it's yeah it's interesting i i I think this what we're discussing now with this democracy constitution you would probably see a a hard downhill into almost french style yeah i mean absolutely there are regions of the country that just wouldn't live under this like, you know, there, no. there's whole swaths of America where this just wouldn't fly at all, period. Um, you know, and it, and a lot of them have guns. So they probably it, your ability to enforce your democracy constitution on them would be limited. Um, yeah, it's certainly I mean, but, you know, and I know they're not doing it to like be politically feasible necessarily but you do have to think about like how stable is this thing going to be once you get it going like how long could it last um right because like you said we have a really old constitution and i think Ma- the massachusetts constitution is actually even older don't we have the oldest uh continuously functioning so. constitution in the world in massachusetts um so yeah i mean and that speaks to the stability the ability of the constitution to change when people want it to change but not too easily which I think is also a a feature not a bug of the system and you know we're seeing this even now with this push to eliminate the filibuster this is one of the things that they wrote in is that there's no supermajority rules in the congress that you can never require a supermajority it's majority only and um you know I think that that's like a push right now on the American left to say like we should be able to do whatever we want once we get to 50% plus one of the people. And and I think that that contributes to instability, this idea that 51% of the people can do whatever they want and the other 49% get no say. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, when we think about like the history of the filibuster and um, all of that, with the Robert Byrd rules, I mean, the Robert Byrd rules are, um, they kind of are what they are, but in a sense, um, when you go from, you know, maybe the progressive area where you see more consensus over time, and then you see kind of um, 
what we what we're getting into now where they're kind of saying these like really scrape like i mean i'm sorry but like a lot of their wish list and saying that that should be passed with 51 votes is scary to me so um yeah i i don't agree with the the abolishment of the legislative filibuster at all it, it's very scary to me yeah, it's it's a concern. And I think it is part of this push toward like the closer we can get to direct democracy and the ways that they argue about the bills that they have where they'll say like, you know, X percent of people support us passing this or X percent of people. Well, X percent of people don't run the country. I'm sorry. Like we have a system. This is how it works. Like you don't it's not run by referendum only. We don't vote all vote on every single piece of legislation. We send people there who have the time to think about these things and read the bills and then we have to trust them to vote on it. And, you know, I I think about this a lot living in Massachusetts because people always go like, oh, senators representing you know, only 35% of the people blocked a bill that, you know, 65% of the people's senators, you know, really wanted to pass. And I think like, how does that make any sense? I mean, I live in Massachusetts. So my two senators that quote unquote represent me, like, I don't support the bills that they're trying to pass. They don't really represent me per se, you know, so and I I'm I still exist. I'm still a person, you know, but somebody some senator in Texas does a better job of representing my values probably than Elizabeth Warren does. So, you know, it, it doesn't you can't with straight math and say like, well, how many people live in Massachusetts? So, you know, 7 million people's voices were denied because I I'm great with Elizabeth Warren's legislation being blocked, actually. Right. Well, you get into like plurality versus majority like type of arguments. Right. Mm -hmm. So like and that's when you get into the numbers game. Like it, it's like when you see polling on any piece of legislation nowadays, if it's 51 percent, you have a plurality, but you don't have a real majority like it's it's not it's not as popular as you think it is. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yes, we do live in Massachusetts. And I would say I am actually from a red state. I'm from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So Mitch McConnell used to be my U.S. senator um, and Rand Paul before I moved. Um, so, yeah, no, Ed Markey and Liz Warren don't represent my values. So when they kind of say um, things like that, where it's like, oh, like 50 0.5% of people support this. It's a majority. And I'm like, no, like, I don't even support you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you don't even represent me at all. And it's funny, M. Markey's been representing me in some House of Congress since before I was born. I've always managed oh his God. district is so his congressional district was like, so gerrymandered, no matter where I moved, he was yeah. like, still representing me forever. It was terrible. And then he became a senator. So it's like, I can't escape Ed Markey. He's still representing no, me. Well, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I'm, I've made peace with it now. Now I'm in Seth Moulton's district. So he's out there running so around with AOC this weekend doing stuff. So yeah, he's saying that they need a high speed rail between what was it like NYC and Buffalo or something like yeah, yeah Seth Moulton is also my uh, representative and I have called his office a few times. So he probably knows who I am because yeah. I always leave my name. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's great. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's a our system is like weird and has these weird, funny quirks like this. But it also tends to stay pretty stable over time, which I really like think is a positive. And, you know, when they said like, oh, people can only thrive under advanced democracies, I was thinking, no, people thrive when there's stability, when you know what the right. future is going to hold, when you know what the laws are, when you know things are going to be fair to you, and you can trust that the government isn't going to come after you and, you know, upend your life, which is really, you know, what the danger is, not whether people voted for the government to do that to you or not, you know, at the end of the right. day. Right. I mean, like when you read this and you see like just a basic majority can do this and then you see our constitution where it is either you can really find a consensus and put in a new amendment, which mm -hmm. we've done on multiple occasions or, um, you know, you go through that. You can go through state legislatures and all of that. Um, I mean, we have the process to change our constitution already. It's not that it's a perfect constitution. We've changed it many times again, right. but we still work towards something with this, that 
democracy element means that it can be malleable and change very rapidly, which again, with your stability point, that does make me very concerned if the left is pushing towards the American left is pushing towards something like this. Right, exactly. And I mean, I don't know how broad based this particular thing is. I mean, I don't think a ton of people have even read this really. But, but I just thought it was interesting, like as a thought experiment. I mean, some of the other things that they had in here that I kind of um, that caught my eye were so in the rights that they guaranteed, they guaranteed the right to an education which is Mm -hmm. different. But I mean, the Massachusetts Constitution has that. So I can't really take that much issue with that. Uh, Right to an education, personal autonomy, freedom of expression, assembly, the press, the right to dignified labor, and the right to health, safety and community. So um, and the dignified labor one is interesting because they did put in here a universal basic income, basically, they guaranteed a minimum income for people. Um, That was further down. And I think it was it was a fraction of uh one fourth of the annual compensation of congress so which i think is it's like 175 is the compensation for congress right now so that would be like yeah yeah so you know that would be one fourth of that yeah like forty fifty thousand dollars a year in in universal basic income for everyone over 18 so that's um why work at that point yeah exactly. <laughs> issues we're having right now right real life issues yeah, so that's that's that. And they put in, you know, wealth taxes and all those things because a lot of inequality is, is bad. Um, so that's what they say, you know, that they want. I mean, and if you think we have labor shortages now from people getting an extra $300 a week during COVID, just wait. There's not going to be a restaurant left right. in America if there's a $40,000 basic income, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, like you're not, you, is there really dignity of work when you're giving them UBI? And then, yeah, I mean, like that's an economic question, but yeah. yeah, but you're putting that in the constitution. That's scary. Like that's a very big economic question. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, I have been working since like the pandemic, partially just to get out of the house and whatever, but I have been working in a big box store overnights, like just stocking shelves, doing stuff, um, you know, on the team that like makes the displays and does things. And it's really fun, but, uh, and they're paying pretty well because they were really trying to get people during the pandemic. But a big part of that is, um, you know, all these places are hiring right now. I think when I was uh, shopping at a Walmart, I saw a sign that they were paying overnight stalkers $19 an hour to start, which is just like wild (laughs) to me. I mean, that's crazy. That's so high for an opening, like a beginner job. Yeah. And that was in New Hampshire. And I mean, like, it's just because they, you know, can't really get people right now people have a really good deal on unemployment and that's going to be reduced slightly maybe in the future if they're able to actually phase it out but uh, it's very difficult I mean these really big companies can kind of afford to do it but the smaller ones are just going to be in so much trouble I mean I think we have no idea what the economic effects of like having a middle class guaranteed income would be on the country i mean i just i think they're just like wouldn't be working class jobs i think it would be to ai within like six months (laughs) the big companies would just say like no we're not doing this we can't afford it right no i completely agree i mean like it's like amazon can afford that big high paying like starter job if they really need to fill a spot Mm -hmm. but like mom and pop shops they can't afford 19 dollars an hour right off the bat like i mean yeah i mean like it just kind of shocked me when I was reading the the con- this lefty constitution about mm-hmm. what they included and a lot of the economic questions that they did like put in there, like and guarantee to healthcare. Like, it, is that M for is that Medicare for all? Like M for all? Like, what are we? What are they kind of promising there? And all of those questions that need to be answered. I was a little perplexed about some of them. Um, the big one that really, really, really hit me was in section eight, where they said they directly oppose Republican form of government. Yeah. Did you see that part? They directly oh, yes, oppose. They did. Yeah. Which, um, and I know everybody's fond of saying like, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a representative Republic, um, which is true. But yeah, I mean, that's, it's almost like anti-American to say like, we absolutely don't want to be a Republican country. So right. Well, it's also like one of those things where it's like, we're not the only Republican form of government in the entire world. Like Germany is technically a Republican form of government. So what's Mm -hmm. so bad about a Republican form of government? 
just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like the, the, the straight uncut will of the people can be thwarted, I guess, if you have um, a Republican form of government. Right. They probably like it's probably an extreme form of like populism, right? Like mm-hmm. they probably think that even having that slight majority like win can automatically put like cut down the elites or like whatever, you know, like right. the, the American left will say anything. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like, again, like I was super concerned when I was reading it, the the direct opposition to Republican form of government, I was like, Texas ain't going to sign on to that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and like you say that like, that 50% plus one thing. I mean, I just I don't know what happened to I was always taught in school as a little kid, like, what's popular isn't always right. Like, just because everybody's saying something doesn't make it true. But this like, seems like really just diving right into the opposite philosophy. Like, if it's popular, it must be good. Let's go jump right into it. Well, you think of like things in American history that were popular like prohibition when prohibition was put mm-hmm. in the u.s constitution it was popular because it was it was passed through I mean, legislatures before yeah i mean it was popular when it started and then you find out that it just was not effective as a policy and then mm-hmm. it was hard to enforce and you know you see other issues from that and you know it it was interesting again yes not everything that is super popular is right for the united states i mean the biggest one, the original sin of slavery, that you could see that because it originally was a popular concept. And then over time, it became an unpopular concept. Um, and then uh, again, it became about, you know, being free and liberty and all of that. So you see, again, yeah, not everything that is popular is always good. Right. And I think that sort of the power of the whole Republican form of government thing is, you know, it's not just one person deciding so it does have some you know sort of reaction to the will of the people but but it's filtered through this you know whatever representative body in order to sort of have a little bit more deliberation an extra step to kind of see like is this fair is this good let's have a discussion about it we have to reach some kind of consensus um, you know, before we vote on it and really be responsible for the vote. And that's, you know, it's sort of a more measured approach. But I think the left has felt kind of so frustrated in this country for so long that like we can't get our stuff done. All the Republicans are just in our way. And it sort of started after Obamacare when, you know, Obama spent all his political capital doing that and then sort of wasn't able right. to do anything else the rest of his presidency except the pen and the phone stuff. And, um, you know, Democrats have felt that Republicans are like stymieing them for years now. And and there's sort of a sense on the left, like, just get out of the way. We want to get it, get our stuff done. You, you know, who cares if yeah. these people want it? get them out of our way? You know, and and I think this like really reflects that in a big way. It's like this is a prop, this Republican stuff, this gridlock, these, you know, elections and voters and people I don't like getting to have representatives in Congress. This is a problem that's stopping me from getting what I want. So it's got to go. Yeah, I I actually directly think that a lot of these electoral reforms and um these, you know, Senate procedures, like uh, obliterating the filibuster mm-hmm. and all of that. I think it's a direct reaction to the Republicans just existing half the time. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, after, you know, Obama, you said, spent his political capital on the ACA, um, you know, Republicans started winning back, you know, the Senate and the House. And you see, especially with the passing of Scalia and what Mitch McConnell did, and Mitch McConnell was very straightforward about his reasoning on um, keeping the Scalia seat open, um, and he had every right to. And that was one of the things yeah. I keep on pressing. I'm like, I'm sorry, like in our U.S. Constitution, the Senate can advise and consent. Mitch McConnell was in charge of the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he I advised think, and consented. I do kind of think that they could have voted on Garland. I mean, I don't think you, he was never going to be a Supreme Court justice in a million years. Like he just was never going to pass. But I would I 
I think it would have probably been the right thing to do for them to hold a vote and vote him down, which they were going to, obviously. Like, he yeah, wasn't going to end up clearly in the didn't seat. have the votes. But, yeah. um, you know, and that was sort of Mitch McConnell said that at the time, like, we think it would be better to avoid the confirmation battle and put him through this when we know he doesn't have the votes. But, you know, I think it would have been, like, maybe clearer for our friends on the left that that was what happened that it wasn't just like Mitch McConnell somehow pulled some dirty trick and kept him out of the seat because he wouldn't have been in the seat like it just wasn't going to happen they were never going to put somebody in Scalia's seat who who was an Obama appointee unless you know the Democrats held the Senate which they didn't um right but yeah I mean it's interesting yeah like you see like Robert Bork and what happened with him in the 80s and Mm -hmm. then you see Merrick Garland um Robert Bork's was just that that was just them craziness Mitch McConnell he had like real justification for what his actions were even if people don't agree with it Mm -hmm. and then I saw it brought up again last week and I kind of chuckled at it because everyone you know of course gives his argument wrong but um but yeah I mean like even like in this this left constitution democracy constitution you see them try to be straight line on the supreme court only 16 year terms and all of that Mm -hmm. so yeah it's interesting what the dems what their model would be you know what i mean like if that were their wish list i do when i did read it the entire thing Mm -hmm. um i noticed i hear like a lot of lefties like pick and choose what they want out of it like and it, it is almost like a template in some form even if you know your average democrat hasn't read it but i feel like you know they they pick and choose on stuff like one of the ones was environmental rights i was like really shocked to read that too and i was like what does that mean like is that the green new deal are we gonna put that into a constitution yeah yeah it is very like of this moment politically you can see like our current political conversations like all over it because you know they have national popular vote for president they changed like the number of senators that states have so that you know, not all states have the same numbers, depending, which I actually, I thought that was kind of a creative way around um, some of the Senate. So that was like one of the more interesting pieces to me when they talked about how they come up with senators. Um, They said the Senate shall be composed of at least one senator from each state chosen by the people for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. Additional senators shall be determined on the basis of state population in increments of five million persons as determined by the census of the United States. No state shall have more than six senators. Um, you know, and then they're elected for six years, one third of the group. Every so, New six York, years. so New York and California both have six senators <laughs> right. each. Right. But it is it was sort of an interesting compromise to me because instead of like, let's just get rid of the Senate. I hate the Senate because they you know, there's there's too many Republicans, which it's so funny to me because there's no guarantees of any of this stuff. This is like this only like hurts Democrats right now at this political moment. There's no guarantee that forever this is going to be great for Republicans. It's only great for Democrats right now because they've all gathered themselves into a few big cities and they're right. And you know, sort of the Republicans go more rural and which is unusual, but it might not stay that way. Like you don't know what the country is going to look like in another 50 years where the Democrats are going to live and where the Republicans are going to live. Like it's just like the Democrats used to be very rural and Mm -hmm. Republicans used to be very urban. I mean, like Manhattan used to vote for Republicans all the time. Right. And, you know, Hillary Clinton had the blue wall that was going to guarantee that she was going to be president no matter what. That was like the whole thing going into 2016 where people like, oh, the blue wall. Democrats just have the Midwest now. That's our thing. Like, so the Electoral College is just set up to guarantee us the presidency now because of the blue wall. And like it just it didn't work out that way. Like, because sometimes the things you think, you know, about how these how this sort of quirky system is going to affect things sometimes they don't turn out to be true so I think it is kind of short-sighted to like set up everything around the last two elections and how they affected your mental health which is part of what's going on here. (laughs) oh I absolutely agree I mean remember Wisconsin go for 2016 and I remember the Hillary Clinton's box just yelling at the Trump one on uh, Boston coverage Mm -hmm. and immediately like the next day you get on like any social media and it's like abolish the electoral college like it's like is that like you all are being crazy like 
you weren't singing that tune with Obama. You're kind of singing it now because you lost. Like it, everything is based on that they lost and they're trying to electorally reform something so they don't lose again. And that's concerning. Right. And if so, Republicans yeah. win under that system, they'll want to reform that one too because the problem isn't every system has issues that are going to end up coming out and helping one side or hurting the other in a certain election. But, you know, it's a system that we have and you have to you have to work within the rules that you have. You know, you can't like if you lose a football game because of a field goal, you can't turn around and say, well, only touchdowns should really count. Field goals are so stupid. Nobody should be able to win on field goals. Let's, you know, like that was the rules of the game. Everybody knew it when you started to play. Like that's just, this is what we're doing. We have field goals. Like it's not, it wasn't designed to hurt you. It just happened that in this game that if we hadn't had field goals, you would have won. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Right. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, but I, I did think that it was interesting that they didn't like fully get rid of the Senate. They did leave it like a little bit more, a little bit more removed from the direct vote than than Congress. But um, uh, I I thought it was sort of a funny compromise. I was, you know, talking to people about this, too, when I was, um, you know, thinking about this episode of the show and kind of asking people like, well, what would you do if you could just you know, make up your own constitution, a constitutional convention of one, what would you do? And um, one of the things that came up a lot that people said was term limits, that they would put in term limits. Um, And I thought that was kind of an interesting one, because it's one of those things that everybody always says that they want. And like, it never actually seems to happen (laughs) in reality. Um, But I don't know. I mean, right, that was a that was a big one for like Tea Party Republicans was the term limits, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, I remember that being big back in like post 20 or 20, yeah, 2010. Right. Um, I didn't actually, I don't remember if this one had term limits or not the democracy constitution. Did you notice that off the top of your head? I I don't remember. That makes me think it doesn't that I don't remember seeing it in there. But it is funny because that is one that everybody always says that they want like on both sides aisle people always say they've been in there too long and we should have term limits and then they turn around and vote for the same people again anyway. Yeah. You know. But um, yeah I mean I don't I'm sort of ambivalent about term limits like I know they're really popular with um, with a lot of Republicans but I also don't know. I mean, there's also good people that would then be term limited too. And yeah, like Chuck Grassley, like we don't want to lose him. I know like, some of them I like. I mean, we can lose Ed Markey and keep some people that are good. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> can we keep Mitch McConnell yeah. in there? I don't know. Um, but I, uh, you know, so I, I go back and forth, but one person said something and this was interesting to me. They were like, we should have term limits, but, um, but what we can do is you can the term limit only applies to you being on the ballot. You can serve another term, but only if people actually liked you enough and know who you are enough that they can remember your name to write you in. And then, oh, and so then you can well, be that elected. would be like that. Yeah, that would be like how Lisa Murkowski won right. with the write-ins in Alaska. That's but they also if I remember, I don't know if they had ranked choice back then. I don't remember, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of a neat workaround. Like, if you're really that popular, you can get back in, but we're just not going to put you on the ballot again after, like, two terms or whatever. You're done with ballot. Gotta remember Chuck Grassley's name and write it in. (laughs) Right. He's going to be, like, 95. (laughs) Yeah, but I thought that was another creative idea. It's like, oh, I kind of like that. I hadn't thought of that one before. That's neat. Um, Because, yeah, they're, like, I... I like term limits in theory, sort of, but then I'm like, oh, but then we'd lose all these great people. So what would happen then? And, you know, and in a sense, we have term limits because people are allowed to vote and get rid of people that way if they want, you know. So there's always the voters. But, you know, I think that what's tough is that so many voters are just going on, like, name recognition and who's familiar um, that that it doesn't necessarily um, like translate like all these people say, oh, the people have been there too long. And then they go to the ballot box and like the same people get elected over and over. And they, you know, it just the power is so concentrated in incumbency. Like we see that so much in Massachusetts. There's almost I think we have like one of the lowest rates of contested races, even in primaries. 
um, in Massachusetts of any state in the country. So it's not just like, oh, it's so liberal, so Republicans don't run. It's actually like even other Democrats don't run because the incumbency advantages are so great in Massachusetts that it's like really, really hard to beat an incumbent. And um, and so, you know, would term limits help to balance something like that out? You know, maybe. Yeah, I mean, like, it's interesting because Republicans on in Massachusetts come have the issue of not having enough people to run. And and on the Democratic side there, the pipeline is so shallow because they the power of incumbency allow doesn't allow Mm -hmm. people to run when they should. Right. I I don't know. I mean, (laughs) term limits is one of those things where we 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 would I, I don't know if I would come out directly. I would have to see some sort of compromise on the term limit thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What um what other things? So if you could if you could write your own constitution, would you just default say the United States Constitution is great and I love everything how it works, or would you have changes and updates to make? Um, I think the form of government so I like the way that ours is set up. I like that it you start off with the preamble and then you go into form of government. Um the Bill of Rights, um, what I would I, I would mostly put the the constitution process, like um, I would strengthen federalism somewhere, probably within like the first parts, the first articles. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you go into the amendments. Uh, I would do a stronger two A. I would directly say that you are allowed to own a firearm. Um, right. be- um, because we've had to do uh, Supreme Court decisions in order to figure that one out, and mm-hmm. Heller yeah. and all of that. The commas um, around militia make people nervous. <laughs> like, is it only in a militia, or is it along with a militia? What is a militia? You know, and and maybe even something in the Second right. Amendment to say like this applies to other weapons that we don't know what they are yet too explicitly because we get that a lot. Like, oh, it's only meant to apply to muskets, and so anything more than a musket. <laughs> You know. Well, it's one of that's one of those things where like when people are like, oh, original originalism means that, you know, um, the Second Amendment only applies to muskets. And it's mm-hmm. like that's not what originalism means. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry. Like, it's interesting how living constitution proponents say things like that. And it's like, well, the Second Amendment is still there. So even under your own argument and standard, Mm -hmm. if that were a living constitution, that means that we could own any firearm that we want. Um, So I I kind of, um, whatever. Freedom of speech applies to like the internet too. And they didn't have the internet either. So it doesn't only apply to block printing presses. Yeah, no, I think in the First Amendment, what I would do is strengthen freedom of speech. So it's more of a cultural effect than just um, and have that classical liberal value maybe uh, extend just a little bit more. Um, freedom of religion would be definitely huge for me, uh, considering we're now hearing that the, the baker in Colorado is um, receiving more harassment. Right. So I would strengthen that part of the First Amendment. Um mm-hmm anything else i mean the rest of them i think are pretty interesting in the fact like you know like the third the 13th amendment um abolishes slavery i would probably add something in there um maybe strengthening it in in some effect it's not a very long uh amendment so yeah what would what would you add if you could your perfect constitution i mean i think those are in there for me i definitely think that um that the religious freedom would be really big for me, especially as, you know, as the culture is shifting and changing and we're seeing all this sort of um, like cancel culture stuff around, in particular around, you know, people with more traditional religious values, especially, I mean, they keep trying to go after like Chip and Joanna Gaines for because they attend a church that's like more conservative or whatever and keep trying to get them on the record. Like, what do you really think about gay people? Like, I mean, it's just that's between them and their church and God. And like, it's just if we're going to have a pluralistic society where different people have different values. And I think that, you know, that the more old school LGBT movement very successfully made this case that like your values shouldn't be able to determine what I do in my daily life and what I do in my bedroom and who I love and all this stuff. And I think that that was a very strong argument, but I think that it's an argument that then cuts both ways, that it's an argument that says, you know, not just 
if I don't agree with what you do in your bedroom, you don't have the, you know, I don't have the right to do anything about it. But you also don't have the right to tell me what I can, what I have to think about what you do in your bedroom either. Like, we have to live in a world where we can get along and, you know, have a society together and, you know, shop in the same supermarket and we're, you know, doing a little bit of live and let live on, on what our religious and cultural values are, you know, and that includes the right to raise children the way that we want to. So I definitely, I think like strengthening parental and family rights would be something that would be really important to me too. Um, you know, I think I'd like to see, um, you know, something that could, um, push for more school choice. I mean, and this is something that's sort of almost the opposite of the democracy constitution thing where they're guaranteeing the right to an education. Like, sure, guarantee the right for, to an education, but I would also like to see it that people have better options for education. Um, you know, the that's a big one right now. That's why a the big... left hates charter schools? I don't know. But I think, I think people big... should have more rights to get vouchers, to choose the schools of their choice. All this federal money that goes into education should follow the student. I think Rand Paul has had a bill out there trying to do that. But, you know, maybe you could put in the Constitution any federal monies that go towards ed- education. Like families have a right to decide where they spend those education dollars for their children. You know, that that's something that if I like could make a perfect world, I think universal school choice would be a really important thing to a lot of people that would, you know, allow us to have that kind of live and let live world. Um, you know, like you said, strengthening the second amendment, I think is important saying some of these things explicitly that were kind of implicit or just generally understood at the time should just be in there explicitly that they continue on now. Um, I think that intellectual property law is something that's kind of a big gap in our constitution. It wasn't necessarily as big a deal then as it is now. And I think that it affects a lot of things in this country. I mean, everything from like the way the FDA does um, patents for drugs, like these drug patents that last way too long. Like why are EpiPens with like a few cents of epinephrine in them that have been the technology to make an EpiPen has been around for decades and decades and decades. Why are they still hundreds of dollars a pop when people need them all the time? Like, that's crazy to me. And that's like an intellectual property problem that we have. I mean, even a lot of things, I think, go back to that. Even like the Dr. Seuss book controversy. Like, why are these books that are from like 100 years ago, like why does one random group of people that just happens to own the copyrights to them have the right to tell people they can't be printed anymore. You know, like I feel like we should have a general understanding in this country that you can make some money off of something that you create for a while, but it has to phase out in like 25 years or something. And that we need probably some more clarity and updating of those guidelines in today's world because intellectual property is such a weird and convoluted area of law. And there's so much, right. It's so complex. It's such a like weird gray area where judges are just doing stuff on the fly a lot of times and like making stuff up as they go along and and it it really like has a real effect on a lot of people's lives. And I don't know, I'm not an IP lawyer or anything, but it's like I always find the cases that I read about that stuff super interesting and I'm like it seems to me that there's like it's the wild west (laughs) in terms of that stuff. Like, you know, I mean, you have people like buying websites and selling them back to people or like these patent trolls that will grab old patents and then sue people randomly over this stuff. It's like sort of a drag on, on our society and our modern life. So that's something I'd like to see kind of fixed, you know, over time. But, um, I don't know, there's probably more things that I'm not thinking of too. Um, you know, that I would put in. I think that that I wish that our constitution could be clearer about a right to life, possibly. Um, yeah, I agree with that. The democracy constitution, they actually put in reproductive freedom as one of their rights. So, you know, that tells you where they so are. So they're guaranteeing, yeah, they're guaranteeing abortion. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, funny. I, I like, think the... I don't... First of all, the U.S. is like out of step on abortion. We allow abortion much later in the U.S. than like any other civilized country in the world. Like Europe doesn't. Yeah, allow. we're 
we are we are very we're yeah we're very 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 liberal on abortion and it's interesting having that conversation with other people where they're like shocked to hear that we have a very liberal abortion uh, policy because oh, yeah, everybody like, acts like I we're in the handmaid's tale all the time yeah we're like like get lead or however you pronounce i don't even watch that show yeah, i've never, never like book, seen it so. it's just <laughs> except acted out in congress when kavanaugh was going to be put in the supreme court that was oh my god that was i mean i remember that time period and i remember watching that and it's just like i can't believe that you all believe that this is going to force me into that position um I mean, but yeah, Amy no, Coney it, Barrett, the dreaded Amy Coney Barrett, just ruled on the Obamacare decision that we were told she was going to strip health care from millions of Americans. And no, we still have Obamacare. It's OK. Like we all survived the Amy Coney yeah. Barrett death squad. <laughs> like we're still here. And I remember when that nomination was said, they said it, she was going to strip it. And that's one of the things when this came out, like everyone, I think all conservatives knew that it was going to be a pretty weak case to begin with yeah. the one that just currently went through mm-hmm. and um, it, she upheld it because it, again, like that was a weak case that was presented yeah. to the Supreme court. Um, they haven't overturned Roe v. Wade. That's the big one that everyone doesn't want to overturn. Yeah. But yeah, if I were to put a constitution together, I'd probably add something about right to life and then um, maybe mandate that abortions have to be. I, I don't know if I would say, how, how can I say this, and add a very huge amendment process, something closer to Europe's policy. Um, right. I mean, but maybe and, extend yeah. rights to mothers and all of that. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, I think abortion is really like in my, if I could just like magic wand create like the society that I want, I'd obviously, I wouldn't like to see any abortion just like right. in my perfect universe. But, you know, in terms of like what's more feasible, there's actually pretty broad consensus against late term abortion in the United yes. States. And, you know, contrary to what you read, the the reasons people get late term abortions tend to be pretty similar to the reasons they get other abortions. It, it isn't always these like crazy one off medical disaster right. thing. It's like it's, you know, the same reasons they get other abortions like that they can't afford to have a child or they're alone or they have no family support or these other things. And I mean, I think there are things that we can do about stuff like that. I think there have been a lot of creative Republicans recently trying to come up with ways to have, um, you know, some kind of family support stipends, whether it's tax credits. I think Josh Hawley's might have one of them actually extended to pregnant women. Like you get a tax credit once you're pregnant and like not just once you have the baby too, which was interesting. But um But yeah, Yeah, I I think I I read that too. I think that politically feasible, like that you could have a broad consensus against abortions after the point of viability. Like if there's a point at which you have babies and you try and keep them alive in a NICU, then like, then that's over, you know, like your chance to do that is done. And, um, and, you know, I think that would broadly be pretty politically popular, even though if you tried to pass that, you would be told it's extremely unpopular and crazy and nobody agrees with you. Based on like polling that I've seen of people's actually kind of complex positions on abortion, I think that would be yeah. pretty popular and doable. Um, Was I, it Pew or Gallup? I think we read the same poll where mm-hmm. they were talking about, yeah, Americans do like restrictions on abortions. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And pretty, I mean, much closer to what Europe has where there's pretty unrestricted access very early in pregnancy. And then, you know, a lot of restrictions when you get further into pregnancy. Um, Because I think a lot of people are surprised to hear that Europe is very restrictive on abortion later in pregnancy. I think that it's, I kind of think it's barbaric how late we do abortions in the United States. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, I thought them putting reproductive freedom in the Constitution was also interesting because um, men don't have the right to get an abortion, right? And so, and being a parent comes with legal legal responsibilities and ramifications, but there's no way, you know, you can't decide not to be a parent and not be on the hook for child support, you know, after you as a man get somebody pregnant. So, right. um, you know, guaranteeing the right to an abortion, you know, when the pregnancy is in your body is something that essentially provides women with a right that men don't have. You know, men can't decide after 
the pregnancy has already started that they don't want to be a parent anymore. They have no legal way out of that. So I wonder if guaranteeing reproductive freedom would, you know, in the Constitution would open a pathway for men to be able to like step out of parental responsibilities too. Because how could you, how could you have women decide have the having the right to decide that they don't want to be a parent? three months into pregnancy, but men can't decide that they actually aren't ready to be a parent and they don't want the responsibility or the expense of being a parent. Um, you know, and I think that, I mean, that would obviously be unpopular. I'm not for like letting men step out of parental responsibilities once they've gotten somebody pregnant. But, um, you know, I don't think women should be able to just step out of parental responsibilities by some point in pregnancy either. And, um, and so I think I wonder if putting that in the Constitution, if you would legally be able to uphold that for women and not for men, or if men would also have the right to decide not to be a dad and not pay child support. Right. I mean, you would all. Okay, yeah. So again, it's a two way street, right? Like, I mean, women have they now in the United States have the right to choose. But you also on the other side want, you know, fathers or a two parent household um, helping the child. I think that in, in our perfect converse, uh, constitution, because, you know, marriage itself is pretty um, conservative, mm-hmm. even with same-sex couples. I, I would want, you know, some right to life, two-parent household as much as possible, um, and all of that maybe protected through maybe like a tax credit or something yeah. like that, and you could put it in the constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, a you know, something that would push that. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, you know, uh, essentially that, you know, we need to hold the women accountable, we need to hold the men accountable. And then mm-hmm. it, it does help, you know, the stability of our communities when right. we have when we promote that type of behavior, right? Especially if you want a big welfare state and a big, um, you know, if you want free health care, particularly for elderly people, and you want elderly people supported, and you want to continue a strong social security program, you're really going to need yep. people to have more kids because the numbers just yep. do not work out otherwise. I mean, China's running into this right now. They're, the one-child yeah. policy is now the three-child policy in China. And yeah. it's, it's a problem. And that's because, changed over our lifetime, right? Right. Like, I mean, yeah. the one-child policy, I mean, I'm 32. Joe Biden um, was, was for the one child policy. There's that there's like some video of him. It was during the Obama presidency, I think, when he was saying he's like, well, they have their one child policy, which I totally agree with, by the way. Great idea, guys. Like, oh, God. <laughs> totally understandable that it, you'd have that policy. It makes perfect sense. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's been it's been a yeah. short time and it's already might be too late because they already like have an aging population. And many of the people that you'd want to be able to have kids under the new policy are now too old. Yeah. And they have a gender disparity. They have more males than females over in China. So they're having issues with that. I mean, those, you know, kind of essentially organized policies, even with that. I mean, it, you even see issues with Japan too, because Japan's having has a really aging population. Mm -hmm. Um, Those two States have really restrictive immigration policies on top of that one child policy and now that china has a three child we'll see if it works for them i mean i they don't have a lot of time to really change that around right. we'll see i it, it's interesting um in the united states i think we should just promote families you know like yeah. it's one of those things that we are, we're just not good at i think that in a constitution if we're creating one now that would perfect what we have yeah, that would be a really good um, position to have in it. Yeah. And I think a lot of Republicans who used to be much more like, no, no, we're we don't, you know, do any subsidies for anything are sort of coming around to this view that like maybe we if we care about families and there's something we care about, we should be doing some kind of support for families. And, you know, it's one of those things. I'm not a huge Trump person, but I'm also not a never Trumper. But it is one thing that I think Trump kind of created that space in the Republican Party where it was okay to talk about spending money on things and on people <laughs> to to do stuff. Yeah. And- <laughs> And I'm not against that. Like, that's mm-hmm. one of the things like on our, my podcast that we talk about, like, you know, like we're not against that type of spending and maybe, and, and people are like, oh, it's a populist position. I'm like, it's not populist. I'm like, you're promoting families and, you know, people wanting to start families and all of that jazz. So yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's good that the Republican party is starting to look at it just a little bit more. It's also 
you know, people don't really understand that promoting that policy can help us down the line with like social security being right. solvent. Yeah. Um, that they don't really get. Yeah. Cause it's going to be a problem sooner rather than later. That's for sure. Well, um, this has been a great conversation. It's been like an hour and it didn't feel like it, but I should let yeah. Caitlin go. That podcast where you can find her is again called the Rhino Pod. Um, so you can find it at patreon.com slash Rhino Pod, R-I-N-O-P-O-D. Um, and they discuss the Republican Party and Massachusetts politics. It's really kind of fun and interesting. I like it. They're not rhinos, in my opinion. No. I mean, Everybody's a rhino to somebody, but right. <laughs> um, but uh, it's a great podcast. I recommend it. And again, this has been the 1570 Project. Um, we're on Twitter at 1570 Project. I'm on Twitter at Alice Shattuck, and she is at the Factual Prep, F-A-C-T-U-A-L-P-R-E-P on Twitter as well, if you want to follow her there, where she's witty and interesting and gives good fashion advice and everything else. So... Um, thank you so much, Caitlin. It's been great. Thank you, Alice. Awesome conversation today. Clouds rolled in and I said, must have brought the rain from Boston. But you looked at me and I felt.